At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Welcome to this free episode of Dunked On. If you'd like to get every team preview as Nate and guests go through the series, you can subscribe to Dunked On Prime at dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. That's dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. All right, it's time to talk about a team that I would imagine has a fan base that is up in arms about their lack of national TV games. And I, too, am up in arms about that because I think that this basketball team is going to be one of the most exciting watches in the NBA this season. I speak, of course, of the Indiana Pacers, and I am speaking to, of course, one Caitlin Cooper. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. I'm a little bit surprised. I would think that the Pacers on a lot of people's league pass rankings will be pretty high, though. People tend to like teams that get up and down the court that potentially have lob threats that have you know the pick and roll artistry of Tyrese Halber and I, th- I think they'll still get eyeballs yeah I think so maybe just uh, among us dorks or maybe they'll be successful enough that they actually get flexed in or they uh, make some noise in the in-season tournament we get to we get to have that this year too so uh, exciting stuff uh, in Indiana so uh, let, let me start with this here as we look back uh, on a season ago Pacers when we talked last year I had him for 29 wins and I think you had him for 26 and then I thought about it more and I maybe I just got everyone else's uh ideas in my head and I was like yeah I should really lower this down to like 26 still well over their over under which I think was like 23 and a half or something and it was pretty good so where I wanted to start is just asking you what you thought uh, about last season and how much of that uh, can they carry over uh what like why did they surprise and uh what's that look like going into this year yeah I mean I think first of all in both of our defense I think we were underestimating them a bit because we were baking in the fact that we were both anticipating anticipating Buddy Heald and Miles Turner getting traded mm. with with what our at least what with what my win loss was but like based on just last season I think it's a little bit difficult to parse because it was kind of a segmented year for them. You know, they really got out of the gates. They had a soft schedule to begin with. And that's when they were kind of the surprise team of the league. They made a lineup change going from Jalen Smith to Aaron Neesmith that I felt really shifted some things for them along with Tyrese Halliburton and what he was doing in clutch time there for a stretch. They won eight of two games and then, or I mean, eight of 10 games. And then Tyrese, you know, gets injured in that game against the Knicks. And they just never kind of fully recaptured that magic. And I don't think it was solely because Tyrese Halliburton was out. Certainly that was the big part of it. Their effective field goal percentage sank. Their turnover rate went up. Their defense actually got worse because of those two things. Their offense certainly got worse. But I started noticing around that same stretch that because they were playing eight guards a night, you know, mission vision six, five, shall we say (laughs) that 
teams started figuring out ways to poke at that scheme, you know, with Miles being a roamer. So like just for an example, they played the Oklahoma City Thunder and Miles was assigned to Josh Giddy as they often did in a lot of games this year in order to keep him low around the basket because they were so small at every other position. And right out of the gates, one of the first plays that the Thunder call is to use Josh Giddy in the post. So it's virtually a guard posting up a center in order to pull Miles out of the paint and then they're running split cut action and, you know, when you have a low man who's buddy healed, they just don't have the secondary rim protection to deal with it. So not only were they missing their best player, but things that they were having to do defensively, very extreme measures to give themselves a chance so that they could outscore opponents were starting to show some fractures here and there. And then obviously they ended up pivoting to development mode at the end of the season. So I guess the short way that I would answer your question is I don't think that they were quite as good as what they started out being, but they also, I don't think, were as bad as how they finished. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and Rick, uh, when he's actually trying, uh, can dial up some pretty good stuff, in it, and he likes uh, some small groups and has had success with that. But yeah, at some point, the fact that they didn't really have a great backup big, the fact that uh, they didn't really have any traditional three-man on the roster and maybe one even kind of decent combo forward, if that is in Brissette like that it just it wasn't going to be sustainable in the end I mean if you look at just the overall quality of players on the team beyond maybe like their top three or four it just was really difficult to me I mean the biggest thing I I will say that I missed on those I just didn't think that Tyrese was going to be this good I mean I think if he had played a little bit more he probably would have got my vote for third team on NBA guard I mean certainly on a per play basis he was right in the mix uh, with any uh, of those guys so I mean, you have been the uh, probably driving the train since he got to Indiana on how good he is. But did last year surprise even you or were you just like, nah, nah, I knew this was coming? He surprised me in the sense that I remember when I was on here last summer, we talked about I had some concerns over the final 26 games that he played and about what his usage rate was how he could be too deferential almost to a fault and what he would do against switches because there were times where the offense was tilting to Malcolm Brogdon in those situations because of how he would struggle to attack switches. And I feel like he and the Pacers found a number of hacks for that that maybe aren't traditional of what we think of when you're attacking a mismatch. But like that's the number one stat that I would pull out from last season is that the night when he scored 43 points against the Miami Heat and hit the game winner and set the record for threes or tied the record for franchise record for threes made in a game. The Pacers had won 11 games in the clutch and that was December 26th. The prior season, they won 11 total games in clutch time. So they had already matched how that team was struggling. And it was mainly because of him. So, I mean, Kevin Pritchard had a quote in the article that Miles Turner had made with the athletic Jared Weiss when he had said, you know, I'm a glorified role player here last year prior to the trade deadline. And within it, Kevin Pritchard had said, you know, like we need to find that real manufactured star. And there was some blowback to that. And he later qualified his comment on Twitter and said, hey, you know, I was being interviewed for a very long time. Like if if I could clarify, it was that we need to find somebody in closing time. And they found somebody in closing time. Like you said, like I didn't fully see that emergence happening. So like just to run down some of the stuff that they did for him against switches, like in that heat game in particular, he Hmm. extended his range. So he's hunting the switch pocket a lot, which anytime a switch happens, there's always going to be a slight delay when you're following up that screener before one defender trades you off to the next. So he was pulling up above those and that's where he hit a lot of them. And then if teams, you know, are watertight, schematically the Pacers like to ghost the switch and that's where Buddy Heald becomes really important for them. So if that switch happens, he'll go set a ghost screen to, you know, create 
a little bit of indecision. And then Tyrese also got a little bit more comfortable doing his sidestep three to the left so that, you know, if Nick Claxton's out on an island with you and, and you're being shaded to the left, he wouldn't just always go to the right. He would also fake that move to the right to draw the big toward him. That he would throw the pass ahead and cut in front of the big so that he was beating the switch with movement rather than having to beat it with his dribble. And then one other little thing that I really like that they just lightly toyed around with is that, you know, if the switch happens and you're playing the Miami Heat and Bam's on ball, you don't really want Tyrese attacking Bam head on. So he would advance the ball to Andrew Nemhard and then Andrew would drive at Bam. And the big's natural inclination is to help. Then he would pass it to Tyrese and Tyrese could attack that switch out of the closeout then instead of again right off the dribble. So I didn't anticipate that they would find that many little ways to get him around that. But that I think was the biggest growth area for him last season. Yeah. And and that, as we talked about last year, and I've been talking about since the start of his career is something that I didn't think that he was really necessarily going to be able to do. And I still would love to see what it looks like in the playoffs when people are really locked in uh, on some of those tricks that you're talking about but yeah adding something to the left i always like that by the way the oh if they're taking your right side away still fake right anyway and then they'll really extreme take it away and now you just have the entire court open to you to go left like i like that little trick so yeah i mean we're seeing it's not you know six seven years ago when golden state would switch and nobody had any counters like now the teams do have that and tyrese is smart enough uh, to take advantage so i guess what did you let, let's talk about some of the new additions uh, with this group group and I think probably the place to begin is Obi Toppin his acquisition couple of second round picks going into his fourth season extension eligible what do you make of his fit with this group I mean I think right off the bat when you just look at it plain and simply from him going to New York to going to Indiana his third season in New York he's screening less than ever in terms of his role frequency he's taking more of his shots as threes than ever and he got fewer paint touches than ever like I don't think that any of that's really going to be a recipe for success and I understand why the Knicks got there Tom Thibodeau very famously wants to play with a big on the floor they weren't going to play a lot of minutes with Toppin and Randall on the floor together they don't really run a switching scheme where his minutes and playing time were going to come from in order for him to be moving toward the basket was going to be hard in that particular environment he comes over to Indiana He's already mentioned that he and Rick Carlisle have talked about that he's going to play around the basket more. There's definitely a Tyrese Halliburton effect in the pick and roll in terms of the big two-point percentages when Tyrese is on versus off. He's going to be able to play, most importantly, in a much more fast-paced scheme. The Pacers clearly get up and down the court, which I think is going to fit Toppin's ability to you know practically outrun entire teams um, when he's leaking out. So I think that it's pretty easy to see the fit there and also because you know some of it's coming at the end of the season, but he's produced when he's been a starter. You know, when he's gotten more minutes, he has been fairly efficient for them. And again, you got to take some of that with a grain of salt because it is coming at the end of the season a lot of the time when teams aren't, you know, some teams may not fully be playing their best people. But I think that for the Pacers sake, you know, when you can trade and get a guy like that for pocket lint, or I guess you could look at it loosely as they kind of traded Chris Duarte for Obi Toppin in a sense. And, you know, Chris, similarly to Obi in New York, wasn't going to get playing time with the Pacers the way that he might with the Kings. So, you know, I think it makes sense to take 
a flyer and see what he can do for you. Yeah, it seems that way. And he was never going to get paid in New York due to some of the factors that you talked about. And it seems like they wanted to do him a solid by sending him somewhere where he would at least have a chance to compete for the starting power forward position. They also got Bruce Brown. Interesting contract structure for now that we're locking back in on it. If it slipped your mind, it's $22 million this season. And then he has a team option for a similar amount next year. And so they could obviously pick that up again or they can... Uh, decline that, go for a longer term deal with him if it's working out well. So they've got some optionality with Bruce Braun. How do you see him fitting in with this group? I mean, I think when you're paying somebody $22.5 million and they're going to be the highest paid player on the roster, he's most likely going to be a starter, I would think. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I I think he'll be starting at the two or the three. Benedict Matherin did an interview during the NBA finals when Stephen A. Smith was doing like a secondary broadcast where he said on there that he anticipates he's going to have a bigger role as the starting three. So I guess you would be looking at those middle three spots between Tyrese and Miles if you're taking context clues and assume it's going to be Benedict Mather and Bruce Brown and then either Obi Toppin or Jairus Walker. But based on how the Pacers used Benedict Mather as a rookie, it seems pretty likely that that spot Obi Toppin might get the nod with Jairus Walker coming off the bench. But just overall how Bruce Brown fits in. I mean, I think that they definitely need him to be sticky at the point of attack. They need to upgrade their defense overall. But when you have, if Tyrese and Ben are going to be starting together, you don't really want Tyrese defending on ball. That's why Team USA also isn't having him defend on ball a lot. A lot of the times he's over on low usage wings or, you know, defending the corners. He's pretty good playing aerial ace, but he can't get through screens. And sometimes if you switch him, he can get overpowered on some of those switches as well. And Ben, Ben's screen, screen navigation just isn't where you want it to be. He has a lot of areas that he needs to prove on defense, including when after he switches, creating some domino effects. So I think that they're probably hoping that they can cross match Bruce Brown onto ones from a defensive standpoint. And then offensively, you know, he's worn a lot of hats in his career. I think that he'll probably play more traditionally based on what they have said than what you would have seen in Brooklyn. But even then, like the Pacers run a lot of actions where they have guards come up and set touch screens out of the corner for Halliburton that would give Bruce Brown the opportunity to slip into space. I think you might see him run some pick and roll. And he like Toppin has also, you know, really been effective, especially in Denver last season, getting out, leaking out, shoving the ball down opponents' throats in transition. Um, He was very effective from a points per possession standpoint and transition, just like Toppin was. So I think you're building out what your strengths already are, and you're hoping that you're going to get a little bit better defensively with him out in the first unit, too. Yeah, it's really interesting because he, as like a second unit guy, that Denver second unit really struggled a year ago, and then they basically made him the backup point guard in the playoffs, and that's part of why he was so effective. I I think also his shot has grown since his time in Brooklyn to where he's a little more aggressive now. Like, I I don't know that he's... guy who's just going to get left anymore which is kind of what he was in his Brooklyn and his Detroit days so I think that's going to be important as you noted him playing more a traditional three type of role for this group so I I agree with you he has to start they just don't have anyone else who can defend at that position unless you want to call uh, that Neesmith Uh, but you know Bruce Brown obviously has a lot more pedigree than Aaron Neesmith does I'm interested though that you uh, maybe I miss uh interpreting this but you feel like Matherin is going to start yeah, I mean, that's what he said when he was on that broadcast. He anticipates <laughs> having a bigger role and that he's going to be 
the starting three, or that's what he said. I mean, that's what the Pacers did at the end of the last season. For like the yeah. last nine or ten games, they had moved Buddy Heald to the bench and started Benedict Mather, and I can't imagine that they're yeah. going to reverse that. But you know, we'll see. Well, well, well I, they did. Uh, they did have some certain incentives at the time. So I, I, I was, I, I was uh, very frustrated in the beginning that Matherin wasn't starting. I'm like, oh, this guy's so good, and then you know he he had his struggle. I'm sure, we'll talk about that a little bit more shooting the ball. But yeah, th- that is interesting, though. I mean, I, I guess he is just a, they have so many so much uh, wrapped up in him. Uh, I mean, do you think that that's the right move if they're going to win basketball games? Yeah. So let let me throw this at you. It's curious okay. because I think. That if you were, if your goal is purely to win basketball games, which Tyrese has said they want to make the playoffs, that seems to be a franchise goal to get into the playing tournament, get into the you know the last spot of the playoffs. The Pacers got outscored last year when Tyrese was on the floor without Buddy by seven point nine nine points per one hundred possessions. Yeah. The same was true in the reverse when Buddy played without Tyrese, minus six point three five points per one hundred possessions. I think that the two of them are pretty important to each other, both in the sense of what I said earlier about if Tyrese gets a switch, the gravity that Buddy holds as a ghost screener, I think is important for him to get into the paint. I think what Buddy does as a stack screener is pretty important with how much they run Spain action. And then, you know, also just what he does in transition like I don't think it can be understated how important it is that Buddy Heald will consistently run to the three-point line anytime following a make following a miss and that Tyrese looks for him like if you think about you know running the two side fast break where you're going to have two guys running deep into the corners and Buddy's going to run to that 45 so that you can create multiple closeouts when that pass goes there I am a little bit curious about how that will play out when the spacing goes from last year being, you know, the starting lineup of Buddy, Andrew Nemhard, and Aaron Neesmith, all who shot, you know, 35% or better on catch and shoot threes versus Bruce Brown, Obi Toppin, and, and Benedict Matherin, who were good in transition, but all attempted way more of their shots in transition as twos than threes because they're typically, you know, leaking out after switching or on a rebound or really just rim running and how that changes what their spacing is in their attack. And then also just like from Ben's standpoint, last year, his usage swung wildly in minutes with Tyrese versus without Tyrese. So when he played with Tyrese, his usage was 19%. Without him, it was 26.7. So when he's out there as a sixth man, that really kind of let him stretch his legs more. So I think it, it was good for both units that Ben was coming off of the bench and that Buddy was playing with Tyrese. Now, moving forward, I think that Ben needs to be the starter. He needs to be getting more of those reps because they really need him to hit. They talk about a lot that they're obsessed with finding the right core. When they get to the end of next season, they need to firmly know Benedict Matherin is a critical piece of this core, especially when you look at their recent draft history and how few people they have signed to second contracts that they have drafted Mm. lately. And I'm not saying that that's not going to happen with Ben and Andrew, but they need those guys to hit because that's how small market teams are going to be competitive. They got to build the foundation of their core first. So I think that they need to start Ben, but I won't be surprised if lineup wise that it works better for them if they were still starting Buddy and bringing Ben off the bench. Yeah, a lot to unpack there. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. 
Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today i think to me like like you i i i don't i guess i had kind of just assumed that buddy would start because rick didn't want to start matherin last year and because when you're bringing in bruce braun and top it it's like you know he's adequate maybe as a four man as a shooter and yeah miles turner is a good shooter for a five you know i'm interested to get your opinion on you know where he's at at this point in time because he like a lot of pacers kind of ran hot early in the year and then it cooled off a little bit but you know you don't want to have miles turner maybe Maybe as your like second best, maybe your best off ball shooter. Uh, if Tyrese Halliburton is going to have the ball and, and Buddy is important for transition as a trail guy or those hit ahead passes from Tyrese, uh, like you said. So, yeah, I mean, I think as I just like fill out the bars of the starting lineup of all the things that you need in the starting lineup, like I don't think they have enough shooting without Buddy at this point in time. And I don't think, you know, Ben is really any better than him defensively, at least uh, quite yet. So that that's kind of my thinking. Uh, but I mean, they need Ben Matherin to hit. What does that look like to you? Like, what do you make of him as a prospect and in, in his development over uh, the first uh, year and change uh, of his time as a Pacer? Let me ask you this: Did you watch his two games at summer league that he played? Uh, in? Yeah, I mean, I just was like. He was kind of just doing the stuff that I knew he could do, and the shot didn't look any better to me. That was kind of my uh, 10,000-foot view of it. Sometimes I think with his shot, it's the types of shots that he takes. So, like, he shot 31% on catch-and-shoot jump, on all jump shots last year, Mm. which isn't necessarily what I would have expected. Like, during the pre-draft process, me, you know, being a dummy, I looked at the numbers and assumed hey, he's not shooting all that well on unguarded catch-and-shoot threes, but he's shooting really well on threes coming off of screens, and those are the more difficult ones to load. So I'm guessing this is probably noisy. But then after watching him during his rookie year, and that remaining somewhat true... I think it more comes from a standpoint that when you run a play for Benedict Mathern and he knows I'm coming off this screen to get a three or, you know, whatever it may be, that he shoots the inflow shot that comes to him and knows that this is, you know, a catch and shoot three for me versus if he's in a spot up situation. He is so wired to catch and drive that a lot of times and he's very good. He's very good at playing out a triple threat and his first step is very deceptive but he's wired to do that automatically. So as the season went on, he started seeing shorter closeouts because people wanted to take away the drive. And there'll be times where he double clutches or he hesitates to shoot it. And it's not, you know, a natural rhythm shot for him. So I think that some of that needs to be rate trained for him in terms of actually reading the closeout and whether he's seeing a full closeout or a short closeout. Then the other thing for him is I talked about him playing out a triple threat is that typically he wants to jab step to the right and put the ball on the floor with his left, which makes his weak hand a strength, but he drives left on like 60% of his drives. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is, is I literally tracked in an article that I wrote here in August, I tracked and watched all of his kick out and skip passes to the right side of the floor. And he never made one with his left hand. Mm 
So, you know, he really likes to attack left going baseline. But if you load up on his drives, which teams have every incentive to do, he doesn't really have an avenue for getting the ball to the other side of the court. And like in summer league, when you watched him, that led to him trying to muscle up shots between double teams. And it's like what we just said, like if if Bruce Brown and Obi Toppin are the other two people out there to space around him, there's going to be even more incentive for defenders to go there because... He's not shooting a high percentage on catch and shoot threes. He's not likely to make a pass. He had one of the lowest pass rates on drives in the NBA last season among players that attempted or at least had five drives per game. I think his pass rate was like 18%. So I see that there's potential for teams to guard him differently from the get-go as a sophomore next year. That being said, it seems from all of his summer league film that he's really working on his in-between game. And the Pacers were running actions at the end of last season. They called it early, like just to get him a quick touch and like that Kobe Jordan spot to try to speed up like his ability to create a shot from him at two and hoping that eventually he can move out to three. So he's not, you know, playing with his food and taking some of those stare down threes that we were talking about at summer league, where it's like, just shoot it in a better rhythm instead of staring down your defender and then eventually taking it out of isolation. So I think mainly what the Pacers are looking for him in year two is, is he needs to start making passes when he gets to the rim. He needs to shoot the ball better like he did at the beginning of last season. And then obviously at the defensive end, but you know, I think Ben, the franchise, his teammates, like everybody needs to be very uh, motivated for, like I said, for him to really hit this year and for him to become a critical piece of the core. But I think that he's going to have his work cut out for him. So uh, I'll put you on the spot a little bit. I mean, what do you see him as? Obviously, there are many paths open to him. But is this guy, is he like, you know, a really good six man? Is he like a really high quality starting shooting guard? Is he someone who has all-star potential, which I think people maybe felt about him right at the start of of last year? Where, Where do you see is the most likely outcome, of course, not precluding the other. I think he can still be a high quality starter. And I still believe in his ability to be complimentary to Tyrese because he is so good operating out of off ball actions and getting downhill, especially, you know, when you run like veer actions for him or, you know, off ball screens that are designed for him to curl and just how good he is at drawing fouls. Like I did a little study because I was doing a collaboration with, um, some people who cover the Kings about Chris Duarte and pointed out that like, Hey, there's like 19 games last year where Chris Duarte didn't make a three and the Pacers only won his minutes in five. Like there was like 26 games where Ben didn't make a three last year and the Pacers still won his minutes in like 11 or 12 of those games. And in those games, he attempted over six free throw attempts per game. So his ability to draw contact really kind of allows him to still make an impact, even if the shot isn't falling. So I think he can still be complimentary. It's just that like, I didn't see it summer league. Like there were things that he showed improvement at. I felt like there was more nuance to his drives. He changed speed. He changed angles more than you would have seen last year. But I didn't feel like there was a lot of intention, which again, it's it's two summer league games in the areas that are most important for him to shore up. So it is almost a little bit, I will say, I mean, I'll get your opinion on this. It's almost a little bit more comforting to me if some of the passing issues are a result of you know, the left-handedness and more so than the processing. Because I do think some of it is processing and feeling and just him not noticing where the where the kickout angle even is. But I I don't know how correctable feel is versus skill. Where would you land on that? Yeah, he's never really been a guy who is, I mean, that's never been part of his reputation, that he's a guy who thinks the game particularly well. And so 
that's uh there are some guys who develop that but particularly a guy who's you know, kind of a downhill driver first and uh, as you know i think what you said uh, might be kind of prescient of like yeah when you take the processing out of it for him when he just knows this is what i'm going to do uh, then he, he's a lot more effective now that's not a death knell particularly when you have so many other solid ball handlers on this team I mean, and to me it's still it just all comes down to the shot because the drive into the basket that's pretty good i i don't necessarily see a future superstar in there and so to be a quality starter like yeah he could be a good enough scorer for a two and i think defensively like he has the physical potential again if if uh you know maybe more is kind of like an on-ball stopper type than uh you know somebody who's gonna do more stuff off the ball with his awareness but to me i i think like that shot has to come along because there are just certain requirements that you need from the shooting guard position that the exact reason why i was saying yeah i think i i've never been like the biggest buddy guy but like you need to get up like the positional average is eight three-point attempts for 36 minutes and and you're gonna make a pretty darn good amount of them at shooting guard if you don't get that then it just kind of messes up all the rest of your lineup construction for pick particularly when you've got this great passer in Halliburton who needs the floor spread and uh, all of those options available to him so I do the fit of him and Halliburton like Halliburton can set him up coming off those screens and stuff but if you're not running the play for Ben Matherin what does it look like and is he gonna be so good running the play for him that you're really gonna want to do that that you're gonna like he might be able to score 20 but how good is your offense if he's scoring 20 because of some of the other stuff when he doesn't have the ball so those are my concerns there but i i mean he shoots really well from the foul line like i i'm i'm hopeful that he can get to where he needs to be as a shooter but otherwise like i do maybe kind of see more of a bench score type than like a quality starting shooting guard or, or a guy with even more potential than that yeah i mean the shot's the easiest way to alleviate it right because if he's seeing a higher diet of of like he was at the beginning of the season, then it's harder to load up on the drives versus you're just picking up and then the help defenders also rotating over because of what the other spacing is. Because like you said, like if you just imagine how often and how many different ways they get into Spain, like Ben's going to have to be the stack screener in that group. You're not going to use Bruce Brown or Obi Toppin to do that. And those are the two people who are going to be dotting the corners, which Bruce Brown is like super quirky. And over the last two seasons, he's shot like 50% from the right corner and almost 20% from the left Mm -hmm. on very comparative volume. So um, that's also a little bit of an interesting thing as well. But yeah, I mean, when you're just imagining Ben trying to step in to do some of the things that Buddy's done, the easiest way to correct some of the other stuff or make the passing less concerning is if the shot is hitting. Let's talk about the rest of the guard rotation. They got a, a lot of guys there. I mean, Nembhardt started for them for a, a lot of the year. A guy that I was completely wrong on, was very low on him after Summer League. I didn't predict that he was going to become like one of their best perimeter defenders. And he was going to be like guarding LeBron in, in that uh, that crazy game early in the season and, and making a name for himself that way. And we did a game for the NBA strategy stream where he lit up Golden State for like 30 points and, and 10 assists. And they were trying every possible pick and roll coverage against him with Tyrese out and he was just carving up everything that they were doing and of course he wasn't able to maintain anything that that type of level throughout the season but i mean he's obviously a, a good player uh and he can play on or off the ball play the one play the two uh and then they got tj mcconnell on this team too which i think it's kind of almost forgot about him uh in some ways with this group but he's on, on a sizable contract he's a good regular season player also has uh some quirky fit issues uh and then even aaron neesmith you know i thought had a decent season last year you know maybe he's more of a three 
three with this group. Uh, how do you see the uh, backup guard rotation turning out? And then you also, of course, would have whoever doesn't start out a buddy and Matherin in that group as well. Drew Nemhard, I think, is the most interesting person out of that group because he was kind of the inverse of Ben at Summer League and that you the way to understand what Andrew Nemhard's value at Summer League is is to watch the games after he stopped playing <laughs> and to see what their run of the offense looked like when he was no longer out there. Because like what you talked about in that game against Golden State, I mean, there was moments where they were defending him with Draymond. There was moments when Draymond was defending the screener and then so that he could switch on to Andrew. Times when Kamingo was picking up Andrew full court, they were playing zone. They were switching with Looney going out there, which Looney obviously handles pretty well in isolation at times. And Andrew was just eating all of it. Like he was pretty unflappable. And like you said, he didn't do that every game because a lot out of ball screens in a lot of games. The games when Tyrese didn't play, Andrew averaged almost 14 potential assists a game, which would be like, you know, top seven in the NBA if it held. His feel and his ability to mosey to his spots, he plays slow in a really good way that that makes him unpredictable as to what he's going to do. I'm sure the Pacers would like more rim protection from him. There's times where he plays a very bump and swivel game and he'll use like that hip swivel to go back to a fadeaway for two, where even when he has avenues to get to the basket but you know he was up in Toronto and he got to be the starter because Tyrese was out at the end of the season and you know it's anybody's guess why the Raptors were defending him with Will Barton at the beginning of that game but it was very similar Mm -hmm. like all you had to do was give him you know a double drag and he was going to get downhill and make the right read he uses good eye manipulation similar to Tyrese some sleight of hand tricks where he can fake the ball to the corner and still get to the basket late lobs he he and Isaiah Jackson were like one of you know, the top lob pass combinations last year, and they didn't even play that many minutes together. But point being is Andrew plays pretty well at summer league, probably has a few more turnovers than you would have liked, but plays really solidly, especially on the defensive end, because, you know, he is the guy that you would put out there at the point of attack. He can flip his hips really quickly out of ice. Like you said, against LeBron, like he makes really good reads that you wouldn't normally see from a rookie where, you know, he could be fronting LeBron, peel switch of off LeBron, off, you know, a 45 drive, stop that drive, and then go out and close out to Austin Reeves, and Austin Reeves will get a travel on his closeout. Like, that's kind of the types of reads that he can make in a split second. But then you look at it, and it's like, if Ben's going to be the starter, and you've just paid Bruce Brown $22.5 million, there's not necessarily a space for Andrew Nemhard in the starting lineup anymore, where he earned that spot mainly because of his defense to begin the season with. And if you're still having TJ McConnell on this roster earning $9 million a year, you're not playing TJ McConnell off ball. So it's like Ben kind of struggled at summer league and might get a much bigger role versus Andrew had, I felt a pretty impressive summer league and looked within the first quarter, like he didn't really need to be playing there and his role might end up shrinking. So that's definitely something to watch. I'm, I'm very high on Andrew Nemhard. I like him on both sides of the ball. And then, you know, Aaron Neesmith's case, once you sign Brown and bring over Obi Toppin and you draft Jairus Walker, there's not really an open space necessarily for him at the 3-4 spot, especially if you're moving Buddy back to the bench as well. So, you know, I don't necessarily think any of those guys are going to get worse at basketball, but lineup crunches and how many, like, fairly quality rotation players they have on this roster might make it a little bit difficult. 
Yeah, I'm surprised McConnell hasn't been talked about uh, as a trade candidate uh, because I think Dembar just slots in so easily at that backup point guard position. Now, is McConnell, you're not going to get a first round pick for him, right? So so I I guess it's kind of like, well, there are going to be injuries. It's good for us to have him. Do we really want to get a second or two? Maybe another team will have an injury at backup point guard. But I I think there's an understanding despite how good McConnell has been with the the backcourt steals and the, the way he pushes the ball and transition is distribution and some of those like little fadeaway mid-rangers uh, snaking the pick and roll that uh you know he he's been effective but also there's kind of a limitation on what you can be as far as like him playing with other guards because you know, he's still not like the best guy there and you just whenever he's off the ball obviously it's a disaster he just hasn't been able to prove his spot up shot at all so i i i mean I well think he is I, more I willing just, to yeah. take them now i will say okay. that he's more willing to take the the threes now there was even a few times where he took a couple in transition off the dribble and he took one off of movement last year nate so you know there's been immense improvement Yeah, but, yeah. He, he's one of those guys where you watch him warm up shooting before the game and you're just like, no, nah, there, there's just no way. <laughs> like, it's just, yeah. there, it's just I mean, never, I, I'm sure he's working, he works his ass yeah. off. It's just never going to get to where it is. The issue is, is like Jenny Busick worked a lot with him and he did take more of them last year, especially when he was open and had the confidence to do it. But the release is still just so slow that there's oh, yeah. still incentive to, there's still incentive to play off of him regardless. Like, it's good to get free points at times, but there's still incentive to not be defending him when he doesn't have the ball. So that's the problem. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess I would just, I mean, Nembhard is capable of playing the two as well. I guess my approach would just be, let's come into camp and you know, whoever earns that backup point guard job earns it. I just like that Nembhard can play some with Tyrese also, which uh, McConnell yeah. you know, is really, the, that's that's not going to be too good. But yeah, I, I mean, and I would honestly, I mean, I know they want Ben Mathern to start. I mean, maybe there's a feeling that just like, because of where he is in the organization, he has to, and hey, you know what, if the starting line up's not going great we'll just like like starting is a currency that you can throw out to a player and hey he'll start and you know buddy is is going to be uh he's getting paid and you know whoever's better is actually going to close so maybe that's like well we can't have been come off the bench and not close because that's going to just that's like doesn't make our draft pick look good and you know messes up with his confidence and and gets him unhappy and stuff so maybe that's where it ends up but I, I like i like the idea of just having enough guys that in that backcourt and even into the small forward position that you can have a competition and see uh, just uh, who emerges and works the best uh, with Tyrese Halliburton. yeah i mean definitely and there's also opportunity for stuff to open up i mean i do think that tj mcconnell was lightly rumored this summer with the phoenix suns briefly um before they ended up making a different move at the backup point guard position. And then also like Buddy Heald isn't a contract year. And while I think the Pacers definitely value what Buddy brings and certainly Tyrese does, they were somewhat non-committal when they it was broached about whether they would sign him to an extension. They basically indicated like that it would have to come with them and him both being comfortable with what role he has, which was another hint to me that they were, you know, planning on him coming off the bench and how that's going to work in a contract year if he isn't playing with Tyrese. I mean, his numbers did look decent at the end of the year when he was coming off the bench when Tyrese wasn't playing, but he did see some games during the 10-game stretch when Tyrese was hurt where he was seeing tougher matchups, and there was a few games where he only attempted like two or three threes in those games. So um, how a lot of this gets handled will be different than it was last year with guys you know, entering into contract years and maybe being more competition at certain spots. So Rick Carlisle is going to have a lot to figure out when training camp opens. 
Yeah, and Buddy, of course, uh, famously chafed at uh, the possibility of a bench rule in Sacramento. But that was yeah. back when he was a young player, you know, 27, 28. You can't be accountable for what, what you do so, so early in your career. <laughs> <laughs> at Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today all right let's talk about the bigs here and miles turner of course is going to start at center seems really and maybe even at the fours i mean i am kind of penciling in top in there but seems really kind of fluid uh behind miles turner at, at that four or five yeah i mean the interesting thing about obi toppin is is in the playoffs for the knicks and both those first round series when he was playing, like he kind of became a hiding spot. Like if you look at who defended him most, it was mm. Duncan Robinson and Max Struess. And in the Cavs series, a lot of times Mitchell Robinson was defending him. And that's kind of in part why he was being used as a screener more. Like it wasn't for him to be the role man. I do think he could improve against switches at doing the whole screen below, stay below so that he could gain an advantage. But it was mostly just so that Jalen Brunson could get that defender in space and attack in isolation. Like, I don't think that's very likely to happen in Indiana. If anything, I think it's more likely. And I'm curious to know what will happen if this happens again, because when the Pacers went away from starting Jalen Smith after they went on a seven game road trip last year, it was mainly because from my estimation that there was a whole string of teams that started cross matching that and defending Jalen with fives and miles with fours. And that disrupted their offense. And it also marginalized miles to a degree. And there's a history of this, like even before Sabonis was there when Thad was the starter, you know, they'd go to Utah and Rudy Gobert would defend Thad and it would be like Boyan Bogdanovich on miles, or they'd yeah. play the Sixers and Ben Simmons would guard miles and Joel Embiid would guard Thad. And that really marginalizes him. And like over the last two seasons, miles has shot 40% from three when he's defended by fives compared to 32% when he's defended by forwards. So if Obi Toppin, like he did develop himself into a more of a quick trigger three-point shooter by the end of last season. But if he's not hitting those at a decent rate, similar to what happened with Jalen, I think it's pretty likely that you might see that cross match happen again. And, you know, if you have somebody like when the Pacers were connected to Pascal Siakam briefly this summer, that would probably happen there too. But like you accept it because that's an all NBA caliber forward and he would address a lot of needs that the Pacers have. You know, I don't know what will happen there if the cross match happens again and it kind of tanks their offense like it did on that road trip when they ultimately ended up pitting to Aaron. So that's kind of an interesting thing to watch there because, you know, if Jarris Walker, by comparison, I think 
something that Jarris can do if his shot isn't falling is that he's pretty intuitive in the short roll and has pretty high feel. He can also run some DH keepers. So like he can do some things at the five man. If it turns out that he doesn't hit threes at a high enough clip to be defended by fours, but I can see there being an impact there on miles, um, his output a season. Cause I do think it's important that he's a five defended by fives. Yeah, so I would be optimistic if that were to occur that Obi Toppin could do more damage as the role man than a Jalen Smith could. And yeah. I was that was always kind of I always felt like he was his best position offensively was as a center, and you know he can he's so fast he could get out of screens quickly, get on top of the rim, get some of those late alley oops like you were talking about as well. So if they do want to space out and have Miles further out, or you know they're going to play so fast anyway, how often is the other team even going to be able to get to their preferred? matchup you know i'm sure that's something that they'll emphasize so i i think part of why i always hated obi's role with the knicks from the very moment they got him was well i think the best thing he could do is like roll to the rim as a small ball five and you're not giving him that opportunity really all you're getting with him is transition so i i would like to see what that looks like uh if he is the starter and maybe you're right maybe he just won't be able to shoot teams out of it or won't be able to do enough damage and or uh turner will feel marginalized uh, again and i thought he was pretty effective as the main guy but I mean, they got to put their center on one of those guys. And hopefully, I mean, I would think possibly that Obi Toppin could be a better role man than uh, Miles Turner, potentially. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's funny because when you go and watch the role man possessions with the Knicks, about the only time that he got to roll was if they ran a double drag and he and Mitchell Robinson would roll together. Like sometimes it created some confusion, but it was wacky to watch it. But that's really the only opportunity. Like, I think it's good for Obi Toppin. And I can understand that the Pacers could use that. I just question the impact on Miles if he's more so going back to being spacing out as the four. That that would be just where I would stand on it. But I don't think it'll be an issue for Obi. Yeah, and, and hopefully they have a, a Tyrese. Uh, it'll be it's a different situation with Tyrese Halliburton than some of the point guards they've had in the past. Uh, I think he can kind of keep all all those uh, mouths full uh, in a way that maybe that wasn't available to them under previous regimes. Uh, yeah, let's talk Jarris Walker here. I, I thought his summer league was eye opening in terms of what he was able to do at times defensively, particularly that first game. Uh, that was the only one the full game that I saw live. Uh, his shot was busted but then he had this elbow issue apparently so we, we can hope that maybe that was what was contributing to that but uh, obviously you just saw his tape I'm sure you saw uh, summer league what do you make of his ability to contribute and could he even figure it into this mix as a possible starting four yeah I mean I think it's interesting because Miles Turner I agree with this comparison I love player comps in general but he said that he reminds him a lot of Thad and that he's a utility guy who can do a yeah. lot of different things and then what he can do defensively as well I think that's a pretty good comp. Like you said, he shot 8 of 40 on jump shots during Summer League, but then he did have the loose body removed from his elbow. I don't know how much that was impacting his release and the pain tolerance level, but some of it too was that you know, when Andrew and Ben are no longer playing and they don't really have a clear table-setting point guard left on the roster, Jarris was having to do a lot more initiating that led to, I felt, some of his dip in efficiency and the types of shots he was getting. Like He was running a fair amount of 4-5 pick-and-roll, you know, different stuff that I just don't think that when you have Tyrese Halliburton, TJ McConnell, and Andrew Nemhard that you're really going to be asking Jarris to do. And in some of the games, it worked okay because, you know, they might be playing OKC and for whatever reason, they chase over on Jarris as a ball handler and then he can get downhill to his floater and make that little shot. But then 
when they played Dallas, they were switching that, and it was a little bit tougher for him then to create and find an advantage against the switch. And then you could hear on the sidelines, like when Jared Dudley was coaching that game, that anytime Jarris had the ball in the perimeter, they were yelling shrink. So they were shrinking off of every other shooter besides Ben Shepard. So I think that the load that he had was a lot heavier and harder than what he's going to see if he's playing off the bench for the Pacers next season. I personally would have hoped it wasn't really possible because they had Isaiah Jackson and they had Tashiboy in the lineup. Like they didn't really have a big who could step out like what Miles or Jalen Smith can do to a lesser extent if he plays with one of the two of them. He only finished one possession as the role man. Like they they didn't really get to use him as a screener moving toward the basket because they constantly had somebody in the dunker spot and those particular games. But like what you said defensively, I think that what stood out most to me about him is just how quick his hands are. He's very, that allows him to do a lot of gambling that other people couldn't get away with. And also just his off ball defensive instincts and having somebody else out there, which really wasn't an option for the Pacers last year, who can be a secondary rim protector and rotate over from help side, I think is going to be important for them. And last uh, position to talk about here, on paper to me, at least, uh, backup center is a weakness. Uh, Tice is, is playing for Germany. I can't say I've been too locked in uh, on uh, how he's looked. It was a lost year for him after after he came over in the trade. But he, he had moments uh, when he looked good with Boston. But when he's he's been in, uh, you know, hasn't been on a contender. He hasn't looked great. And obviously, Jackson has been someone that uh, Danny and I have focused on quite a bit. And he has a, a lot of interesting tools. But I, I would say... Say at least you know hasn't been able to make himself actually an effective contributor to winning basketball yet. So you know generally Miles Turner is probably going to play thirty minutes a game, probably not thirty five. That's just not what centers do. So they're, they're going to need something out of one of those two guys. It would seem. Yeah, I mean, I would almost lean toward the guy that you didn't mention and say that I would almost prefer that they went with Jalen Smith, um, just because uh, yes. for. Just for Jairus's development, like Jalen did not shoot the ball well last year, but Jalen at least does shoot. Like Isaiah Jackson mm-hmm. isn't going to shoot threes for you. That way you can kind of mix up what you're doing with Jairus a little bit more and experiment with him in the short roll or with him rolling to the basket or like I said, doing some of the like Draymond Green fake handoff type stuff up at the top of the key and wheeling side to side. I'd like to see him get to do a little bit more of that. And I think that becomes more difficult if Isaiah Jackson is at the five, like the two of them did link up and have a few connections where, you know, Jairus was like a ball handler out of a double drag and like fed Isaiah for a lob. I don't think you're going to see a lot of that at the NBA level, but I would probably lean toward Jalen. And I just think positionally on defense, Jalen is a little bit further ahead than Isaiah as well. It's kind of year two with Isaiah. You can watch possessions and just absolutely marvel at his ground coverage, but I'm to the point where I still don't know what his ideal pick and roll coverage is. If I had to guess, if I if I knew what the numbers were, if I had to guess, I would say that it's probably blitz because that allows him to be proactive and he can really shuffle his feet and force some negative dribbles, get some hang time passes, and he's still capable of, you know, getting back and recovering in, in front of the screener because of how quickly he can move. But like and drop, it's still not really happening. He tends to stand up a lot on switches. Like he can switch out. But then he stands up and gets beat. So their numbers with him at solo five defensively are not good. And then just like, we know he can catch lobs. We know he can roll to the basket and draw a tag. But like, he hasn't really shown that he can do like two dribble moves consistently. He's still not really shooting jump shots at all. So if I had to lean towards one, I would probably lean towards Jalen. The thing with Tice is, is Tice is better than the other two of them. But does he fit in a fast paced scheme for you? And also, like, if you do have some lingering belief in the upside of Jalen or Isaiah, then it doesn't necessarily make sense to be playing Daniel Tice at that spot. 
Well, you know, I mean, I wonder if like Obi Toppin and Jarris Walker together would really be any worse than any of these other guys. Yeah, I mean, they played Jarris some at the five in summer league. And to be honest, like I think offensively, he was doing more wing and guard things at summer league, but I almost kind of like him doing more things as a five or as a big, even though we didn't get to see a lot of it. Like some of what you could project from Houston, like I said, like him doing some of the Draymond type role on offense, I think would sit really well on him. So I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility. Yeah. And that could be a way to uh, to, to get Toppin some more minutes. And you know, maybe you could even get Neesmith on the floor uh, a little bit that way, too, uh, at, at one of the forward positions if Toppin were going to play more with the backup side. But that's, yeah, it, how Rick Carlisle is going to stitch this all together is going to be fascinating as we start to move towards how all this is going to work together. You know, I'm. I'm trying to, I think defensively, you know, they are still, I think, very dependent on Miles Turner. Now, they have competence in a way that they haven't at some of the other positions, but I think Obi is still, you know, he's going to probably be a negative there. I think Jarris could be a positive. I mean, you never want to totally count on a rookie for that, but he, he showed a lot. But then, you know, I'm just not sure whether he fits in with his lack of shooting, particularly if you're, if he's going to play with the Stars, particularly if you're also not uh, going to play Buddy Heald. So I, I think Rick Harley is going to have to be very judicious on both ends because there are players with some very discernible strengths and weaknesses on the team even though I, I really liked how they upgraded the talent in getting Toppin and getting Brown I mean I think those are two guys who can start for them and, and the price for them was was not huge and, and Walker has, has a lot of talent also I am and I do like the fit of Toppin and, and Turner I mean Toppin probably fits better with Turner than you know all but maybe two or three other centers in the league at Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today so i i'm just i'm trying to think though of just like is there a way for these guys to get to be above average defensively like do they have enough at this point with like you know maybe an average number one wing defender in bruce brown you know, everyone else is probably below average except for miles turner and miles turner is really good but i don't i think last year proved he's not going to be like a great defense uh, unto himself what, what do you think of that what do you think their defense will look like this year i think what's most noteworthy about their defense from last year is that if you were to watch watch it and then you look at the numbers the two things don't reconcile but they were trying to take away doesn't show up in the numbers because like they more than ever and for since me watched all crew was used as being assigned to guys like Denny Avdia, Matisse Thibel, you know, low usage wing around the basket all the time. Big, who's a non-shooter like a Scotty Barnes and Scotty's running handoffs, they would play Miles back to the basket rather than having him up and pressuring. They had a very exaggerated, heavy nail pressure 
especially like if they got an unfavorable mismatch, like somebody like Luca's hunting Tyrese, then they would almost go into a two, three quasi zone where somebody had to be at the nail immediately to provide that help. They did more peel switching. They did more nexting to try to keep the ball out of the paint. They doubled the post because they were small and then they iced every side pick and roll. So everything about those adjustments would tell you, okay, they're really loading up to try to keep the ball out of the paint as much as possible and that they're willing to give up, you know, protect the paint first, then get out to the shooters. And that then you look at the numbers and they gave up the second highest rim frequency in the NBA. They ranked 27th in a points and opponent points in the paint. And, you know, some of that's because they were also a very bad rebounding team. They ranked 30th in opponent rebounding rate. But if you just looked, I looked on PBP stats, if you look at their defensive rating on first chance points, they still rank 25th. So what I think all that speaks to is they had to do so much to fortify the fact that they didn't have very many on ball stoppers. Like I imagine if you had access to other team scouting reports, there weren't too many bad answers on how, who you were going to target on that night. In Mm -hmm. fact, I can, I can go down a list and be like, okay, well, the Knicks used Jalen Brunson to target Buddy Heald. They also used, you know, Jalen Brunson to target or Emmanuel quickly to target Jordan War off the bench. There were times where as good as Andrew Nemhard was defensively, and I'm pretty bullish about his defense, that, you know, if if he's having to defend Pascal Siakam, then the Raptors are going to Pascal Siakam in the post. Luka is going after it. And Tyrese got hunted a lot over the back end of the season. I don't know how many people know that if they watched late game seasons for the Pacers, but that became a lot more prevalent where, you know, they're playing the Utah Jazz and now Colin Sexton's hunting him and Laurie Markkinen's hunting him in the post. And, you know, there's just, there was a lot of options for is the prick and that's why during summer league like if you were really listening to the broadcast i wrote an article about this that like anytime somebody was in space the bench was you like to remind them you know stay in front of the ball guard the ball and then you'd hear a lot of other key words like chase through the screen veer because they wanted people to chase over and veer back switch or peel switch into the legs of guys and then also pressure that they wanted jairus walker up pressuring on those handoffs and really be steering the big unlike last year when they had miles playing back so what i'm anticipating based on all of that is that you're probably going to see a little bit more of a conservative scheme from the pacers last year more back to basics more miles at the five swallowing up pick and rolls and that they're going to hope that they can do that because they have a little bit more size at the four position than what they had last year and that they're really just going to have to hope that organically they get better coverage at the point of attack than what they had last year in addition to Bruce Brown and try to try to simplify things because I think in the modern NBA there's a lot of reason to be doing the peel switching and the next thing because it's it's kinetic energy you know if you get beat on ball and you can run to the next nearest defender you're not having to stop yourself like that makes a lot of sense but when it's a young team like the Indiana Pacers it requires a hive mind to play that type of defense. And you could see, you know, there being dominoes effect from it, or even not just them giving up a three because they have a heavy nail presence, but that guy getting slammed by a flare screen and now it's a drive to the rim. So I think to answer your question, like my goal for them is to, for them to be at least a top 20 defense. And that's a pretty modest goal, but they were bottom five the last two seasons. And if in the minutes when Miles and Tyrese were available or in the games when they both played, they played at a 44 win rate. They got narrowly outscored by 0.5 points per 100. Because of what their offense was in that game, they don't have to make a giant stride to have a positive net rating next year and, and be on pace to win. Like I said, 42, 44 wins. I just think that they, between 
making those shifts and the people they've added, I think it's reasonable for them to get to like 1918. And if they can do that, they'll, they'll improve from where they were last year record wise, I think. Yeah, that, that's pretty reasonable. Yeah. I think, you know, 20th and, and, you know, especially when miles is off the floor, I think they're still probably going to really struggle. Maybe not quite yeah. as badly as they did before, but I am concerned if they are going to get better defensively. And some of this is, is on Rick, as I was noting earlier that if they are going to get better defensively, yeah, that could take some off the table for their offense, particularly if Heald is not going to play it as much. And uh, like you said, you know, they're probably like if you know Jalen Smith played some four, then they went uh, even smaller than that. And and do you think it's accurate to say that this? team will probably have in the aggregate less shooting around Tyrese Albertan than they did last year? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's definitely possible. And that's why it's difficult to find that right balance, right? Because like even with Obi Toppin, everything about him defensively is kind of just projection at this point. I mean, he didn't, he played, you know, short bursts of minutes for the Knicks. A lot of times when he's out there, he's probably defending the other team's worst player in a bench lineup and like Tibbs doesn't switch the Pacers switch a lot at the four spot and like in just the handful of possessions I could find at top and like if it was against you know a Jason Tatum or when they're playing the Sixers and they did a little bit more switching he would get stood up and like there's just like not a lot to go off of so if you're not really hitting your marks offensively and really having the transition just lighting opponents up then if you're not making enough strides defensively is it worth it to you to be bringing buddy off the bench at that point like that's that's what we're both getting at i think is that it's going to be do they need to lean more into offense do they have enough defensively in that first group to warrant not having as much shooting that's why i say I had a hot take on another podcast. I had to give one and I said, I I don't think that the starting lineup that they start the year with will be the one that they finish the season with. I just, I expect that there's going to be some tinkering that happens. Yeah. I would, I mean, they just have too many good players, particularly in the backcourt. I I would think uh, for that. Now, one thing I think they can get better at with just with the more size is just not fouling as much. Yeah. They fouled a lot. Yeah. I I mean, Neesmith was, I I mean, I, I, I've liked what he could do defensively, but he just fouls like crazy. Uh, uh, Jalen Smith was a big foul guy, Isaiah Jackson. So you think of those three guys, uh, th- their roles are going to be reduced. They, they're showing me a little smaller, but I, I think they can be at least, you know, not in the bottom five in terms of foul. And something else they control is their ball security. They turned the ball over quite a bit in the minutes when Tyrese wasn't on the floor. If they can improve that, that will improve their defense as well, because that was in part why their defense got worse when Tyrese was out. It wasn't because Tyrese is like a lockdown defender. It's because, you know, they weren't making as many shots and they were turning the ball over. So it's harder to get back and set your defense. And then you're also, you know, giving up pick sixes going the other way. So, and they can take care of the ball. That will kind of organically help solve some of their defensive issues, at least with what their leakiness was out on the perimeter last year. Any other strengths and weaknesses for these guys we haven't talked about yet? I mean, I think their biggest strength is definitely the transition offense. I mean, I think oh, yeah. people can probably see that with Team USA. I'm curious to see if that holds up in a second year. I think that there's no reason to think that it won't for the most part. That's just how wide is. That's how they've built the identity of the roster. I am a little bit interested to see if more teams will throw token press at him. If some teams will get brave and try some, you know, 2-2-1 press or 1-2-1-1 press against the Pacers a little bit more. Guys like Giannis had talked about last year exactly how hard it is to play the Pacers during the regular season. And I think that will remain true, if not even more so, now that we have even more guys like Tyrese. 
Um, so I think that that's definitely their biggest strength. But on the flip side of that is they weren't, they were quietly not great in the half court last year. They ranked 24th according to cleaning the glass and half court offense. So, you know, if they do get corralled a little bit more, what does that do, especially with some of the spacing stuff we've brought up? And then, you know, in combination with the defense, I would say their other weakness is, is the rebounding. Yeah, it should be better in mean, top. And I think he's a relatively a better offensive rebounder, the defensive rebounder. Uh, but uh, I'm uh, I'm hopeful at least that they have a little more size. They can get better. And also if they just give up fewer shots at the rip, they'll be a better yeah. defensive yeah. rebounding team as well. Um, let's see what else. You know, I'm still a little worried about Tyree's health. You know, he's missed significant time in a few of these seasons. And, you know, I, I still think I, I don't expect him to be totally hopeless without him the way they were last year but i still think you know this is a you know a 25 win team in games that he's not playing probably you know I mean, even if they do have some talented guys it just they don't have uh, that one engine everyone else is probably really way overstretched in their role on the perimeter maybe even as it is uh, and you mentioned how you know they could use someone like siakam they really still don't have that second creator that you truly trust i mean nemhart is a good solid backup point guard but if he's the number one guy you know that's that's asking a lot uh especially in the starting lineup but and same of of mcconnell so uh yeah i mean that's uh the offense when halberton is off the floor the backup big situation as well and then i do still feel i don't know that they're necessarily going to be like tanking down the end of the season but uh, even last year when they were doing better it it almost seemed like kind of convenient that tyrese got hurt and then when he came back they just weren't the same team uh you know i didn't really have a great feel for why that was but it there was just sort of this feeling of like all right, you know, this is a developmental year still. Like, yeah, we're winning these games kind of the same way as the Jazz were towards the, the end of the year. And I, I still have that feeling a little bit, particularly with what you're saying. Like, oh, yeah, well, Ben Matherin has to start. Like, okay. Like, if, if you're starting Ben Matherin because he was the number six pick a year ago and he's a really important part of your future rather than we're going to put the best lineup on the floor to have us win. Like, that that just tells me a little something about, like, what this team might be. And I feel like that adds up to, you know, a, a win or two or three over the course. And there's something else two that stood out because right around the time of the draft and I'm paraphrasing here but Chad Buchanan talked about you know the possibility of them moving number seven and that it would be a risky move for them as a small market team that they talked to team eventually moving number seven for players who are on expiring contracts and everybody can speculate about who that who that was or wasn't people probably have a pretty good guess but you know if you're not, if you don't feel right now that you're willing, and I, I agree, it probably would have been too risky to move number seven at what timeline they're at. But the fact that they weren't willing to take that risk tells you where they're at in their timeline, right? Like if you're not willing right now to be like, hey, we're going to move number seven for to potentially add an all NBA guy next to Tyrese House tells me that you think that, you know, you're not prepared to add that all NBA guy and tender to the want to resign when the season's over. So if you're not willing to take that risk yet, and like we said, if you do need to be starting Benedict Matherin so that you make sure that you have a foundation so eventually you can add that guy to that foundation, then you are still slightly in development mode, even though they do want to try to make a push for the playoffs with the things that they did this summer. I think that's revealing of where they're at. I actually don't wouldn't hate a Siakam trade for them. 
but I would hate it. Oh, I think I he makes a lot of sense yeah. from a positional yeah. standpoint. Yeah, and they actually they've always kept their books pretty clean. Like they might be able to pay him in a way that say the Hawks, which is another rumored destination, who wouldn't necessarily fit in their salary structure. Like that's not a contract that I love, but it's also you know they can kind of it can still work uh, around him uh, if they do pay him his next contract. But yeah, I mean obviously if he says he doesn't want to be there, that's one thing. But I also think if I'm Kevin Pritchard and I would like to continue to have a job, what's safer making a big trade for Pascal Siakam and then he might leave and maybe you don't even do that well when he's there or right. is it to just let's just keep building slowly because you made this Sabonis deal and you got a lot of cred for getting Halpert and he's your new star we're just going to build around him and see where this goes like that's from a personal security standpoint that's an easy decision yeah I mean I think that if they that Siakam or Ananobi would have been interested in an extension they might have given those a lot more consideration than what they did. I think both of them make sense from a fit standpoint, and it's definitely worth a call for the Pacers. But I just think it's telling that if you're not prepared to make that type of risk and bet on Tyrese Halliburton and bet on your ability to win games, then you don't think you're in that stage of contention yet, which I would probably agree with them on. But I do think at a certain point in time, during the, the max contract that Tyrese just signed, in order for the point, they are going to have to be willing to stomach a risk at some point, especially with what I said before. You know, how eyes and the they haven't signed to second contracts. The only other player than Miles Turner that they've signed to a second contract after drafting them since drafting Miles Turner is Edmund Sumner. And that was like a three year deal with a third year team option. And then ultimately, because he suffers the Achilles, they ended up trading him to Brooklyn, anyways. Otherwise, all of those picks have either been guys who've had qualifying offers pulled or were waived, or like Goga getting Orlando or TJ Leaf getting traded. Oklahoma City and what was virtually a salary oh dump or oh yeah, our moving Aaron <laughs> oh, no. Holiday. No, like that's no. just <laughs> just stop, stop, please. <laughs> please. <laughs> I mean, it, it is a reality. Like right now, Ben and Andrew are looking pretty good a lot, but like that's for a small market team, if you're not hitting on the draft and you're not going to be willing to, you know, move future future first round picks to take like a big risky move, then it makes it hard for you to get into that next level. So I think that's kind of where they find themselves at. All right, with all that said. Let's make some predictions here on the Indiana Pacers season. Uh, do, you, do you have a number in mind? Well, after last year of vastly underestimating them, I fear that I might be overestimating them now, but I actually think I'm going to go with 43 wins. That's yeah. what pace they were on to play when Tyrese and Miles were both available last year. When they were both healthy in the lineup, they played at a 44 win rate. Their net rating was comparable to Miami's. So what I'm saying is, is they're probably going to the NBA finals last year, next year. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that, the, I think that it's reasonable to think they can get there if they can make subtle strides on defense and base what they already were when Tyrese was available. I I, I think it's reasonable. And their beginning schedule is very soft again. Seven of their first nine games at home. They're not playing a lot of tough opponents right out of the gates. So I think that will help them as well. That is important. I, I think that that can kind of set the tenor of the season for a team like this. Whereas if you start off two and seven, then it's kind of like, eh, you know, are we really, it, it, you can kind of quote unquote reality will set in. I'm just a little bit worried about the depth. I'm a little worried about the shooting. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm a big believer in Tyrese. I'm just, I have this vision of him setting up a lot of open shots that guys are going to miss. Now the transition could just be 
so good that it overwhelms that. I, I think as we talked about, I think they have a better chance of getting past the median offensively than defensively. Like it is pretty tough for me to think, especially you know, maybe with Turner on the floor, they could get above average. Hard for me to see that uh, overall, uh, unless some sort of a move were made or unless Jairus Walker just immediately emerges as a starter and just an absolute wrecking ball, which I uh, then maybe that could, that could hurt the offense too. I think I ultimately see these guys as, you know, kind of low 20s on defense and kind of right around average on offense. So I think I'm going to be a little bit lower than you. Uh, I'm going to go 37 wins for this. Group. I think that's about where Vegas has them. Okay. Yeah, I, I've fastidiously avoided looking at uh, the Vegas lines. But uh, yeah, so you're uh, you're quite above that then, it, it would seem. Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I respect your opinion on them a lot. You know this team better than anyone else that I know in the public sphere. So uh, it'll be fascinating to see what happens. And uh, I will have a very good feel for this Pacers team, I'm guessing, because they're going to be a ton of fun uh, to watch uh, with transition and some of the highlights and, and just seeing how the rotation shakes out. This is one of the more interesting previews that we've done. So uh, thanks so much for joining us and uh, where can everyone keep up with what you're doing this year? Right. So my Twitter handle is at C2 underscore Cooper. If you go there, you'll find, I guess I should have said my X handle is at C2 underscore Cooper. If you no, go I'm there, the link. That. I'm not doing that. <laughs> it, it, it just, it doesn't make any sense. It, like, why did they change it to X when like you can't change the website? It's it just, it, it's I, uncomfortable I like it's, to say too. I don't like yeah. saying it. No, it's not great. But unfortunately, no one else has made a better alternative. So uh, yeah, we, we'll be stick with that sunk costs and all. But my the link will be there. It's patreon.com slash basketball. She wrote all of my work has moved to Patreon now. Now that doesn't mean I do have several pieces that are unlocked there. I do a monthly mailbag that is locked for people who subscribe. Um, this month, just to give people a sampling of what I've done, I did a whole piece studying Ben's passing um, that people can see the breakdown. I tracked all of those passes. I did another piece that I was interested in with how much the possession war has gained steam in the NBA and what Miles Turner's conversion rate on opening tip shots is. There was there was method to my madness on that <laughs> one. That's unlocked. Um, it's very curious to me how he's an otherworldly shot blocker, but only wins tips on 30% of the time and why I think that happens and how somewhat it can almost be a benefit to the Pacers because of how good they are um, on after halftime sets. So people can get into that. And then I also did another breakdown um, looking at a set that Rick Carlisle ran the last time he was coach of the Pacers in 2007 that they still run now and how the modern era has really changed how the exact same steps can look so different. And then also just a piece on Tyrese Halliburton and what he's been doing with Team USA. So that's all available in August that people can come check out. And I'd love to have anybody that wants to come see my new riding home. So yeah, the so the 2006-07 Pacers. Peja is on that team at that point, I think, right? That was his last year there. And I think Jermaine O'Neal was still there. Yeah. It was a lot of Mike Dunleavy, a lot of Danny Granger, a lot of Troy Murphy um right, is in the clips. Steven Jackson trade too. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that so. was a, a, a weird time. Yeah. D- Danny Granger was 06 draft. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. He was a rookie the prior season, I believe. Yeah. That, that's a what if that isn't talked about enough, I don't think, of like, what if he had stayed healthy and they could have paired the good version of him with Paul George and Frank Vogel and those teams and just gotten like one more great score on the floor. Like, Danny Granger was a stretch four before his time. If you could have played Danny at the floor. Yeah, absolutely. That, what could have been. Uh, all right. Well, thanks again for joining us. And uh, we'll talk to you all again soon in our Season Outlook series. Uh, thanks so much for subscribing. Till then. 
Thank you for listening to this free episode of Dunked On. If you'd like to get every team preview, you can subscribe to Dunked On Prime at dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. That's dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.